Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. If you'd open up your Bibles today to Luke chapter 1, Uh, That's where we're going to be studying today as we go through the Bible together. Now, we skipped ahead last week to Luke chapter 3. Now, we're coming back to Luke chapter 1. And we're actually talking about John today. Um, John. But we're in Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist is who we're talking about. And uh, I'll tell you, waiting, waiting, that's my favorite all-time thing. Waiting. Uh, waiting in line for a new driver's license. Love it. Love it. Love it. Waiting in line at the supermarket. Always fun. Uh, the tax office. Great times. Great times. Uh, actually, these are some of my most unfavorite things. If I was going to sing a Disney song about it, that's what the title would be. These are a few of my unfavorite things, right? That's what I would be singing because I hate waiting. I hate waiting for anything. Microwave popcorn takes way too long, right? Uh, I want things to happen immediately. It's funny how microwaves are part of probably everybody in this in this room's life since their childhood, right? At least you know they've existed, if, if you, even if you didn't own one. And I remember when microwaves or radar waves first came out. And uh, I remember putting things in this machine that would cook them like instantly. A baked potato was like five minutes, man, instead of an hour. And that was amazing. But somehow I've gotten used to that. And now it takes forever, right? Forever. And it's just, uh, we are an impatient people. We discover things that are supposed to help us, that are supposed to make life easier, and all it does is really increase our pace of life to where things that seem like they just took, they were just instantaneous now take uh, forever, right? What about that flight, right, from America to Europe? How many of you love that flight? How many of you like sitting on there in a bus infected with coronavirus for eight hours, coming here, there's that kid that's behind you, he's got that green horns coming out of his nose, and you're just like, oh, I hate this. And, and I'm not afraid of dire, dying in a fireball of death. I'm afraid of getting the flu or some sickness from all those people. Not just the corona, but just any sickness. You know, you're just on this small, small space. One person sneezes, and there's just like this visual cloud moving through the Airbus, right? And you're just like, oh, man, this is not going to end good. And never fail, I almost always get some kind of cold. But it's either that or it's the air conditioning, which I have become unaccustomed to. Um, And so one of those two things always leads to me being a little sick. Um, But there's other things we wait for too, right? Like we're waiting for maybe some of our loved ones to become Christians, to give their heart to Jesus, waiting for that baby to come. I remember Shay waiting for Delaney to come. It could not come fast enough. Uh, and uh, so many other pregnant ladies in our church at that last month, especially if they're pregnant in the summer, God help them. They, they want that baby to come out early, right? They're praying every day, Lord, let this baby come early, safe but early. Uh, waiting for a promotion, uh, a change of station. And it's hard to believe this, but not everybody loves being stationed in Germany. Uh, and I've uh, met several people who are ready for a change, ready to go back to the U.S. or go somewhere else. And so you're waiting for that change of station. And by nature, we as people are kind of tuned to pursue immediate gratification as opposed to future rewards. 
You know, we often choose the good instead of the great. We often choose good enough instead of awesome. You know, we we just want, if I can have it now, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Anybody ever heard that? If I can have it now, I'm going to take it now, right? Even though the payoff could be late, greater later, I want it now. Because patience, though a virtue, does not come natural to any one of us. And today we're going to be looking at the birth of John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, He would be remembered as John the Baptist, a prophet of God after 400 years of silence. He was sent to proclaim that Jesus had come and his ministry was about to begin. John's birth, though, was a surprise to his parents, who were older. Maybe they had given up on the idea of having children of their own. However, it was God's will to send them a son, even in their older age, who would prepare God's people for his son, Jesus. So we're going to read quite a bit of scripture today. We're going to read, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and then skip to 11 through 20, and then we're going to finish up in this reading uh, with 57 and 64. 64 verses in Luke chapter 1. We're not reading them all, but we're reading at least a good half. So uh, follow along with me in verse 6. And they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now skip with me to 11. And there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was a priest. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God, and they will go before him in the spirit of, he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Even then, Zechariah was afraid to call his wife old. (laughs) I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Smart guy. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. A very important last sentence there. They will be fulfilled in their time. Now skip with me to verse uh, 57. And the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. What an awesome, awesome account of the birth of John, the, the, really the, the, the herald of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to take three, ta- I want, there are three things we can take away from this story and this account of John's birth. Number one, that waiting leads to praise. 
Waiting leads to praise. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous before God. The Bible says specifically they were righteous and walked blamelessly before the Lord. They were well advanced in years, yet they struggled with infertility. Um, as a person, as a couple who has struggled with this their entire life, uh, I've met several couples, and I've we've meet people on the road all the time when we speak at different churches, and and uh, after Stacy will come up, she'll greet the church. She she has a little part to play in it, and then I usually stand up and I preach. And after the service, everybody's always so kind and greeting us. And some people, without thinking, ask us, "Well, where are your kids? You know, do you have children?" And Stacy doesn't say this, but she jokingly says to me, yeah, we, we go up and we talk for 45 minutes, but we never mention our kids, you know. It's like we just ignore them completely, and then we don't bring them with us, right? It's like, it's obvious we don't have children, right? And we often get asked that, and you know, people mean well, they want to ask, you know, they always ask, do you have kids? And, and the answer is no, and we, you know, I guess just get, you get tired of explaining it, right? And for those of you in the room who have struggled with infertility, uh, you can feel like an outsider. You can feel like it's just you. I want to tell you it's just you. It's just that none of us like talking about it at parties. It's not just you. You're not just alone. And I, want to, I just want to comfort you with this, that uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah walked blamelessly before the Lord, yet they were barren. Your infertility, your struggle with this is not a result of your sin. Okay, it's not a result. It's not God punishing you. I want I want to tell the entire church that God does not punish you. Listen to me. He may bring correction. He may bring rebuke, but it's for our good. And he doesn't send us to our room. There's no God timeouts. There's none of these things because the punishment that we deserve was placed upon Christ's shoulders. Do you understand that? That punish God is not in the business of punishing people. And I want to tell you that all the questions you have about infertility I've asked. I'm 47 years old this August, and for 27 years, I've seen teenagers get pregnant. I've seen people who have no business having children have children, and, and Stacy and I have never had that gift, right? And you can get upset about it. I've seen it drive couples apart. I've seen it just drive marriages apart, put a rift between people and God because they think they deserve something. The truth is you don't deserve children. They are a gift from God. And you are tasked with raising them in the love and fear of the Lord. They don't belong to you, uh, but you are stewarded with them. And so, uh, and I want to tell you that though we have struggled with this our whole life, there is also blessings in it, right? And I'd be foolish to say there's no blessing in it and just lament and wallow in my misery. But the truth is we are able to do so much more for the kingdom of God. We're so, and many of you know this, we're able to vest so much more in you because we are always available. Amen. Some of you think, how would you have so much time for so many hobbies? I'm always available, okay, because I don't have children. And so uh, moving here and coming here was uh, uh, much easier for us than it is for missionary families who have children. And so there, there's a plus and minus to it all. But I, again, I just want to assure you that it's not because God's punishing you. It's not because he's withholding on you. It's because God brings children into our lives for our pleasure and his glory, just like every other blessing. Amen. I want to also assure you that God's timing is perfect. It says that Zechariah, Gabriel said to Zechariah, I have heard your prayers. The Lord has heard your prayers, excuse me. And you know they must have been praying like we did for every single day for 20-some years. You know what I mean? You just pray and you pray and you pray, and I'm sure they had prayed. And God had appointed John uh, to be a man who announced 
that the Son of God had come. And, you know, when Jesus' time to come into the world was near and, um, you know, when it was going to be time for his ministry to be announced, that all had to happen. It didn't really matter how old Zechariah and Elizabeth were. This was all going to happen in God's timing. And through all the pain and waiting, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have no doubts that God was at work through them, even through their pain. There was no doubt. You know, you, we complain before God. We get upset with God. We're waiting on God. We're just like, it's just like waiting in any other line, isn't it? You're just waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And the more you sit there in that traffic, you just, your blood starts to boil. I'm on the road. I should be moving. Why am I not moving? It's been an hour, right? Things aren't moving as fast as they ought to. I've got places to be and things to do, right? And really all you have to do is get home and switch on the Xbox, right? So, but, you know, you're still boiling. But once that, once that traffic breaks, once that thing you're waiting for happens, you're just like happy as could be, right? Maybe even happier, which is so weird because if you were just driving through traffic, you would never think about it. But once it breaks, you're like, yes, 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 I'm moving. What's that mean? Well, when God finally delivers in his timing, it leads to praise. It leads to praise. Waiting leads to praise. Zechariah's praise. He learned his lesson. He was mute the whole time that his wife was pregnant the whole time, right? There's no, hey, my wife's pregnant. My wife, can you believe it? I'm like really old and my wife is advanced in years and, and she's pregnant. There was none of that. And, and, and the baby comes and, and he's so excited. You know he praised, you just know he did. And as believers, we're all recipients of God's grace. So why is it hard to praise the Lord for many of us? Why is it hard to praise the Lord? I say many of us, but the truth is I don't have any problem praising the Lord. So I'm going to say many of you, okay? And I'm, it sounds a little judgy because it is, okay? Why do we have trouble praising the Lord? Why is it hard? I, I'd say there's a few things. Number one, we don't have thankful hearts. We don't have thankful hearts. We're not grateful for the things God has done. We are the person who is, God, I thank you, but what have you done for me lately kind of person, okay? Praise is difficult when we fail to trust Jesus to provide, lead, and shelter us. If, if all you do is on your own strength, then why do you, you're never going to praise God, amen? Because you have done it. You have made it possible. You've, you haven't leaned on the Lord. You haven't trusted him. And so you're not going to give praise to God. It's difficult because it's all about you. Praise doesn't come easy to those who fail to understand all that Jesus has done. And I would say that this is probably the number one thing in the church that leads people to not praise is the fact that they don't understand the depth of their depravity, how lost they really were and how far Jesus has gone to save each and every one of us. And the, the punishment that awaited us if we were still found lost in our sins the day of his coming or our death. We don't understand really all that God has done for us. And I want to tell you that when you understand all that God has done for you, this sense of entitlement that you deserve this and you deserve that, you deserve kids or a raise or a promotion, these things fade away. Because you understand that it's by the grace of God you have even what you do have. And the fact that you think God owes you something uh, vanishes because you know that God doesn't owe you anything except punishment for eternity. But instead, he extended to you grace in Jesus Christ. 
The second thing waiting teaches uh, that waiting uh, leads to is salvation. Waiting leads to salvation. You think about it. God promised Abraham. He even promised, actually going further back in in Genesis chapter 3, Adam, that there would be a Savior. But he also promised Abraham that Jesus would come through him. He promised David that his descendant, who rules and reigns for eternity, would sit on the throne forever, right? And and these promises are all through the Old Testament. And it was thousands of years uh, after the first announcement that there's a Savior coming, that Jesus finally appeared. Thousands of years, a thousand-year line waiting for our Savior. But I want to tell you, when God says wait, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. We want what we want now. But, you know, when God says wait, it's always worth it. I mean, really, what do we want? Do we want relief from our situation or do we want victory? Do we want his will or do we want our desires? Now, even right now, some of you are thinking, oh, I want what I want, right? I want what I want. And that may be true, right? But if you really think about it, where is, what is the best place to be? Where is the best place for your life to be? Where, are you, where is your marriage best place, your finances, your career? It's in the palm in the center of his hand, amen? If God's in control and he loves to give good gifts to his children, if he is the shelter and he is the bread from heaven, he is the manna, and he is giving us everything we need, then where else would we want to be but the center of his will, right? In the palm of his hand, in the cleft of the rock, under the eagle's wing, all the terms that the Bible gives for being under the shelter of the Almighty, where else would we want to be? We don't want our desires. The truth is if God give us, gives us what we want, we'd be miserable, Right? We would be miserable, but he gives us his will, and that's all we need. I may never be rich, but I can always have joy. I, I may never have all that I desire, but I can always have peace in knowing that Jesus is my Lord, and I am with him, and he is with me. Do we want his timing, or do we want it now? Do we want his timing, or do we want it now? I want God's timing, amen? I want what God has for me when he has it for me. We know that what God has for us is greater than what we can gain on our own. We know this. In Luke 167 and 69, it says this, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah knew that that the wait was worth it. He knew that his salvation was near. He had a reason to dance. He had a reason to shout. God had been so good to him. Not only had he given him a son with a distinct privilege of announcing the coming Savior, John would become a great man of God. But he was alive to see the Savior. Zechariah had reason to praise. Amen. Salvation came. It was worth the wait. Lastly, waiting leads to serving. See, John was ordained to call people to repent, to be baptized, baptized of repent, baptism of repentance, and point people to Jesus. John didn't wait for Jesus to show up before he began his ministry. He was called to deliver a message, and that's exactly what he did. He didn't need proof. He didn't need verification. He didn't need a million people to tell him what to do. He knew what to do, and he went out and he did it. He didn't care what anybody thought of him. He looked like an idiot, to be honest with you. He wore camel's hair. 
he was a mess. He didn't keep himself very well. He, uh, you know, he just, he was, I think many people thought he was crazy living out in the wilderness. But he didn't care about any of that. He had a mission. He had a mission ordained by God. He devoted himself to telling people the Messiah is coming. Prepare your heart. Prepare. The, the Lord is coming. Church, I want to tell you that we too have been entrusted with a promise, a promise that we're eagerly waiting to be fulfilled. That is Jesus's return. And like John, we are called to be proclaiming this message. It is entrusted to us to tell everyone who will listen. It doesn't matter what people think of us. It doesn't matter what the results are. Though It does matter, and in our heart, we, it does matter to our, our heart that people be saved. I was thinking as I was driving to church today, and I was driving through village after village, through Dettenhausen, then Weilum Schoenbuch, then Bredelstein, or whatever that is outside of Holzkernlingen, and then through this village, about the thousands of people I drove by were going to hell. The thousands of people I drove by who don't know Jesus and don't have a hope that we have, who don't know Jesus came to give them everything. And they're just, they're sitting there. They think they're happy. They think they have everything they need. And that is just our, a lie of the enemy that just to put us in a comfort zone and in an insular comfort zone so that we never think we need Jesus. And, and, and now, I'm not condemning all these people, but surely more of them were unsaved. They weren't on their way to church this morning, right? They were, and, and you think about that. You think about it. We have, a, we have been entrusted with a message. What is the message? Well, that the world is corrupt, that the world is broken, that the world is lost, that you are, that we are all sinners, and that we will face divine judgment for our sin. However, we also can't just share that part of the message. We have to share that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world through His substitutionary atonement on the cross. He took our place. And we also need to share that Jesus will return for the church. To some Christians, they don't even like talking about this. It seems too far-fetched, too crazy, that Jesus is going to fulfill His promise to come and meet us in the air. We'll see him in the clouds. He'll catch up the church. We'll be restored. Our relationship will be restored. Now, I want to tell you, if that seems silly or crazy to you, think about how silly or crazy John's message was. That some a Nazarene was going to come. A regular old guy is just going to come out of the woods, come out of, and just enter into ministry. Nothing special about him. No majesty, no pomp, no circumstances. But a Nazarene is going to come out and start his ministry, and he's going to save the world from their sins. That's crazy talk, isn't it? It's true. It's a promise. This is the message entrusted to the church. I've said this so many times. There's no plan B. There's no plan B. If you're waiting for your neighbor to get saved just by some osmosis or something, it's not going to happen, right? Your family members, truth comes through hearing. We must be proclaiming the message. Everything we do should be permeated by the promise of God to return for his church. For uh, the hundred years of, hundred plus years of the assemblies of God, uh, God's existence, we have always been focused on the imminent return of Christ. Why? Because we see it in Paul. We see it in Peter. These are people who saw Jesus. Right? They saw Jesus, but they were anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. And I believe that the church should never lose that focus. We should never 
lose that urgency. How many of you in basic training or or in, 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 it's usually, at least my experience with this term is uh, in the military, you better move with a sense of urgency, right? You better move with a sense of urgency. And church, I want to tell you that this is a command from the Lord. We should be moving with a sense of urgency. Time is short, right? Jesus is coming back. Our time is short. So what should we be doing? We should be serving one another for sure. All through the New Testament, the church took care of the church first. Every single person in the church, we should be, this is our, these are our brothers, these are our sisters. We should be taking care of the church. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his body first. We ought to be calling people to repentance like John did. Those who are unrepentant, those who are lost in their sin, we should be confronting them with the truth that they are sinners. We ought to be proclaiming the gospel telling people that there is hope for, for the sinner, that Jesus himself saved his people from their sins. We ought to be discipling others to follow Jesus, and we ought to be eagerly looking for his return. This is what the church ought to be doing. Church, one day Jesus will return. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. Regardless, we ought to be waiting with patience, trusting in the Lord, and persevering as his church, as God's will continues to unfold until the day we meet Jesus face to face. I want to tell you that each one of you has a part to play in his plan to bring sinners to grace. Each one of you has a part to play in it, not just the preacher, not the missionary, not just the evangelist or those called by God to serve him full time, but every single person has a part to play. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Amen? God is bringing the message of peace through his people. Don't believe the lie of the contemporary church that says it's the pastor's job to lead people to Jesus. It's your job to lead people to Jesus. It's our job to equip them to become like you and go out and win other souls. That's our job. That's the job of the church. The job of winning souls is your job. My job, all of us together. Does anybody know what Maranatha means? The word Maranatha. Anybody ever heard that before? The word Maranatha? Really? It's a it's a a word in the Old Testament that means our Lord come. Our Lord come. Church, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Right? I'm ready to not worry about who's going to be the next president of the United States for sure. I'm definitely ready for the coronavirus thing to be over. I'm ready for my old, tired back to stop hurting. I am ready for perfect peace. I am ready to see Jesus. I am ready. I am ready. Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. This is the prayer of the church as we wait for his return. And to the day we are found trusting in his promises, relying on his provision, and drawing on his strength. For every challenge we face, including the challenge of completing the Great Commission, this is what we are to be found doing. Waiting is worth it. Amen? Amen? Don't get tired in the waiting. Don't get frustrated. Don't quit. The wait is worth it. One day we will enter into our reward. Please say amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.